Welcome back, everybody. This is Brian Tuck at Creator Confidential with the wrap-up of Season 1 of The Mandalorian. And as I have been on past episodes, I am joined by rock and roll drummer David Below and Philadelphia-area stand-up comedian Dan Bradley. Now, before we bring Dave and Dan on, a little bit of business. Wanted to remind you guys and ladies to make sure that you are liking and subscribing to this show on whatever platform you are currently checking this out on. You know the drill. You know you know what to do. Secondly, I want to talk to you about a live event that's going to happen in Kennett Square on March 23rd, and that event is called Rhythm and Words. What Rhythm and Words is is part story slam, part spoken word, and right now, all the submissions are open to authors, poets, playwrights, storytellers, songwriters, if you like. And if you want to be able, if you want to have the chance to read your work to a live audience, this is it. So I'm going to drop a link to the submissions for Rhythm and Words in Kennett Square. March 22. I'm going to drop a link to the submissions uh, page in the show notes so that you can take advantage of that if that's one of your things. If that's one of your things, I encourage everybody to apply. I think it's the beginning of a really interesting new type of programming in the region uh, in Chester County where we are. And it's uh, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be a very interesting and I hope rewarding event for everyone. Okay, so enough about that. We're going to dive into uh, chapters six and seven. Since it was kind of a one continuous piece with a cliffhanger in the middle, we thought we would just wrap up both episodes in one podcast. And we are about to do that now. Here we go. You're listening to Creator Confidential with attorney, author, and musician, Brian Tuck. Brian's legal practice is focused on arts and entertainment law, startups, nonprofits, and faith-based organizations. To learn more, visit tucklaw.com on the web. Creator Confidential starts now. So joining me are Dan and Dave again. We are going to wrap up season one of The Mandalorian with our brilliant and incisive and and mostly immature analysis. So, uh, gentlemen, thanks for uh, coming back. Hey, thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. So, I think it's safe to say, season one ends in a in a pretty satisfying way. We didn't really know exactly what was going to happen, but the the way everything is resolved and the table is set for the next thing for season two really was done in an interesting way. Um, and just to like walk through some of the things that we, uh, we all saw um, first impressions, Dan, what, what were your, your thoughts generally overall? I absolutely loved it. I, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was, I kind of got a little <clears throat> not worried, so to speak when they took the child. But um, you know, my big thing was I don't need it to end on a cliffhanger waiting, you know, dying for the second season. I just wanted to see, a complete story and like a, a, a great character arc for, you know, all these characters, especially the Mandalorian. Um, 
so I just wanted like a strong finish, not just a, a bullshit like, oh, and the Mandalorian's got to go chase somebody in space now. Like, I just, I want it like a strong finish. And I think that's exactly what we got. And it was, it was pretty awesome. And um, I mean, in terms of action, in terms of character arc, in terms of development, it was uh, emotionally, it was, it was awesome. It was, I absolutely loved it. Mr. David, what, what were your thoughts? Uh, I totally agree, and I really like the fact that they gave us a lot to chew on, especially in terms of uh, how we, as we've talked about through the whole show, there was more seeds planted of origin story as well as giving us something to look forward to in terms of, oh, we're probably going to get to um, – see the, the way it hinted and alluded to the things that we'll probably get to learn about, which is more about the child or the baby Yoda, as they call it. And also we, uh, I, it, it also, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I think it made it, I, I think with the way, uh, it, uh, kind of scared us with, uh, how Mando got hurt and the way he got uh, saved and kind of, um, um, I don't know, resurrected his, his mission and his spirit got resurrected. And the way that it happened uh, makes us feel more for the Mandalorian going into season two, if that makes any sense. No, definitely. So, we, you know, one thing that they've been really, really good at is showing us different sides of things that we would never have gotten in the film and I'm going to jump around here. I'm going to jump ahead to the Mm -hmm. beginning of um, the beginning of the last episode. You have the two scout troopers on, on the hover bikes. They, they grab, uh, they grab the child and they're circling back towards the town. The, the ultimate villain by this point, uh, Moff Gideon, he's already been revealed at the beginning of chapter of the last of the last episode, we see this exchange by the the scout troopers on the hover bikes, and they, you know, they've gone out to the ship. They've retrieved the child. They're circling back. By this time, the ultimate villain of of the show has been revealed. Uh, Moff Gideon. We don't know his name at the time, but he's got a ton of troops, a Tie Fighter, the whole the whole bit, and the uh the scout troopers have to stop at the edge of town and check in before they approach and the conversation between these two guys it sounds like two guys that you would hear at the corner bar or just shooting the breeze of it's not formal it's it's i, I don't know the the tone of it was really really I, I thought enjoyable and 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 different than what you normally get with the original trilogies and the prequels that that five minutes there of those stormtroopers, like, was arguably one of my favorite five minutes of all of Star Wars ever. I absolutely love that part, and I like was cracking up. Um, I just love that peak. I love anytime they give you a peek behind enemy lines, behind stormtroopers' minds and helmets and stuff like that. And they're just regular guys just signing up to kind of for a job. And um, the the part where they just decide to take shooting practice at the box and they both just miss horribly 
<laughs> that was funny, yeah. And then like they don't good. even they don't even say anything. Like there was no they don't talk or anything. They just kind of stare at it and you know what I mean? Like uh, there was no dialogue at that point, which I appreciate that. You know, I love the fact that there's been an ongoing thing. You know, it started with like kind of like Bill Burr and the other episode where he's like, I'm not a stormtrooper. You know, I love the ongoing joke and they're recognizing that it's a known fact that stormtroopers have horrible, horrible aim. Um, but yeah, I love how relaxed they were. Um, I love how hilarious it was. I love the back and forth. Um, you know, randomly punching the child or baby Yoda. Um, yeah. <laughs> those two characters are actually played by uh, Jason Sudeikis, I think his name is, and then Adam Pally. Oh wow! There so, you go. We yeah, were, we were wondering who those guys were, specifically for that scene, and uh, I, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a fantastic start to the episode. I had a, I had a feeling it was going to be um, people that we've heard do that kind of banter before. And uh, Sudeikis, um, it, it, so he was the one that was in I Love You, Man with Paul Rudd, right? The tall guy. No, no, no Sudeikis was on SNL. Um, oh, Sudeikis. Okay, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of Siegel. Siegel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I thought that was really cool, too. And it reminded me of, like you were saying, Dan, um, you, you don't see a lot of that in Star Wars. But when I went back through the old memory banks, I was it reminded me of when Luke and Han are having it out once they got onto the Death Star and they yeah. were in their stormtrooper outfits and, you know, they were arguing about whether they were going to go rescue this princess or not. And it definitely had that feel of like, this is how two bros would kind of argue who kind of know each other, kind of don't, but they're just like, yeah, okay, I guess this is what we're going to have to go do. And, and, and like you said, the target practice and just looking at the, the blasters. And then if you think about it, those blasters are, who knows when they were issued because it's five years after Jedi. So yeah. it said, are they, are they wondering like, have these things always sucked or have we always sucked at shooting? You know, what's, what's the point? <laughs> so yeah, that was super cool. I had to rewind it and rewatch it because my kids were talking over it when I yeah, first it watched great, it. Great scene. <laughs> so we get into the stand. So in the middle, at the end of, uh, the first piece and at the beginning of the second piece, the cliffhanger kind of bisects this standoff and we've got, we have uh, grief Karga, the Mandalorian uh, Kara and IG 11 makes a big reappearance in an unexpected way. Uh, and, and actually to some extent is the hero of, of these two episodes, I think yeah, in a, in a huge way. Um, they're holed up in the same, bar that Carl Weathers, Grief Karga, and the Mandalorian met at the beginning. This is where all the guild business is transacted. And they again, this is like a stream of... Dave, This you'll enjoy this. This is like stream mm-hmm. of consciousness. I'm all over the road. <laughs> so when when uh, when they go back to deliver the child to Grief Karga and to the client they go back to the bar where the guild bar, let's call it the guild hall, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. And the client takes a call from his superior, who we later find out is Moff Gideon. And while he went, as he gets up to go, you know, respond to the transmission, you see all of this laser fire come into the window and it's like a mob hit, you know, just yeah. machine guns, you know, blazing away at this guy. 
the client gets killed. And then as you look out the window, you see all the black armored death troopers, which we first saw in Rogue One. Yep. And they are they have a perimeter around the building and in comes this TIE fighter and out comes uh, this dude named Moff Gideon. He's got black armor on, kind of Darth Vader-ish, sort of, in a way, mm-hmm. uh, but not at the same time. And at that point, they're in this standoff with the Imperials. And it's at this point where we have an interesting kind of dynamic among the four of them about trying to get out of there. Mm -hmm. And um, there was one funny thing. I always, I saw this later after, after watching the episode, somebody had grabbed this frame and put it up. So when Carl Weathers is talking to the Mandalorian and he's like, you know, you're not, you know, you're not from Andalore. You're trying to, you know, he's trying to explain their, their back. You get a little bit of their backstories in mm-hmm. here, in this scene. And when uh, Kara goes, well, Mandalore is not a, uh, it's not a race. It's a creed. And of course we know Carl Weathers from, a, from being Apollo Creed. <laughs> I don't know if this was intentional, but there's a look, he has a look on his face I'll I'll try to I'll put you know what I'm going to put that up in the show notes I'll find I'll find that post and it was really it was really funny if it was unintentional it's 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 brilliantly done by Carl Weathers but he almost like hey man that's my name don't you know don't uh, don't throw my name around without uh, unnecessarily don't take the name of Creed in vain or something like that I don't know <laughs> yeah. It, it's those it, it's those nice little pop culture callbacks and those winks to the audience that everyone gets to share. And I thought that was totally cool. I, I remember I didn't consciously think it at the time, but now that you say it, I remember that moment and thinking, oh, that's funny. They use that word, but I need to go back and watch that moment. I think they purposely absolutely could do that. And it reminded me of how at the end of the um, um, what was it, episode three that uh, when Mando went and got back the baby after taking the, the Beskar steel and getting his armor done and uh, um, he's trying to sneak out of the town and Kreef and all the bounty hunters are stopping there that you've got Apollo Creed of all people saying, I'm your only hope. And, you know, getting another one of those Star Wars lines that we're all familiar with put into a new context. Which is it? Which they seem to do that every. Seems like uh, about every two or three episodes, you get one of those little golden nugget moments. That's interesting. Um, I didn't pick up on that at all. Yeah. Yeah, Carl Weathers has been so good in this. It, it you know, he, he was. I mean, not so much now, but back in the eighties, he was as he was a guy who could hold his own. I mean, you have to. You ha- I think you have to have known what Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger were like in their prime as movie mm-hmm. as action heroes, but there were not many people who could be on screen with those guys and hold their own and have a lot of gravity. So like if you watch the first predator, Carl Weathers is in that with, with Arnold mm-hmm. and, and is great in that. Yeah. And, and obviously the Rocky films, he's, he's, he's as much part of the story as Rocky is, which obviously because then the Creed spinoffs 
would have had no basis uh, if that was not the case. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, totally. That's a great point. I never thought of it that way, but he was, he was, it, 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 he seemed like you'd think he would have gone on to being just as big a star in some ways. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was a management thing, but he was like anything he was in, he was rock solid. Totally he had a decent solid. role in the uh, arrest development. I mean, that was a pretty decent. Oh, role. that's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Got yourself a stew, baby. <laughs> I was waiting for him to say something like that when they were all at the campfire and they were just building and they were just all eating. I was waiting for him to drop a, what you want to do is keep those bones. You got yourself a nice stew, baby. <laughs> I like I like how he, after um, Baby Yoda healed him, I like the way they handled his um, – kind of his, you know, come to Jesus moment about like, oh, I couldn't go through with it. And this was the plan. And come to Yoda moment. It, yeah, the, the come to, yeah, exactly. And how, um, but at the same time, when that happened, what was really cool was you got to see how much of a badass he was because he spun around and between Mando and Kara took out the two guild members that he had with him with like perfect shots that, completely grazed both not grazed but almost you know could have grazed mando and kara and you could see that they were shocked at how fast he whipped around and took those two people out and he puts his hands up he's like okay all right it's cool but you know i just gotta let you know that i took those guys out because we were going to take you guys out and then it first that split second you realize this is probably one of the reasons he's in charge of the bounty hunter guild is because he can actually hold his own you know if he yeah. if he could get the drop on someone like Mando and Kara at the same time, so it's like when I when I watched that scene again because we ended up binge watching it over the break here, and um, this literally went from the, the, did the whole episode in a row. Little things like that kind of uh, popped out as to how well his character is slowly <laughs> been you know simmering the whole time to use your stew reference. <laughs> <laughs> so skipping ahead a little bit we my favorite part obviously is you want to get to the point where all of the revelations happen and, and the, at the end of the last episode they happen very rapidly um as as the as they're holed up in this um hold up in the uh the guild hall there again mm-hmm. and what happens is again Moff Gideon is out there with like 50 of his guys and uh stormtroopers that is his muscle and uh mm-hmm. they're setting up they're setting up like machine guns and all this artillery and they're they're gonna just they're just gonna knock the entire building down if these if the heroes don't come out and he then we learn the name of the of the Mandalorian we learn mm-hmm. that Kara is from Alderaan and we learn that um, Grief Karga is a, quote, disgraced magistrate, whatever that may mean in the context of this show. Mm-hmm. And Moff Gideon knows all about these guys. He knows he knows way more than they think he knows about them. And it, it, it is implied that Moff Gideon is a war criminal. We don't know what he did. That's never explained. And that's fine. That's that's part of why Favreau is so good at this and Filoni, they're not over explaining everything. 
Mm-hmm. IG-11 appears with the child. He takes one of the speeder bikes. He kills all the scout troopers. He rides into town, just blazing, you know, guns blazing away, somehow protecting the child at the same time. And he helps them escape the guild hall by cutting a hole in one of the grates and they go down into the sewers. Um, and then Dan, you want to set up, they, they go down into the sewers, but they find a pile of armor, which they did not expect to find. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what happens next? Yeah, that was a very cool detail. So they go down to the, into the sewer. And at first I was confused. I was like, wait, what is happening now? And, um, you know, they find all the armor from the, the creed of the Mandalorians, uh, all the helmets and stuff. And obviously Mando's falls on his knees and, pretty devastated by this and um you know i guess feels partly responsible for bringing the creed out in the open like that and then they just getting wiped out um and then you know carla's character says you know we gotta get, we gotta keep moving it's, we have to go and at this point you know uh amanda says just go without me i can't just leave them here you know like again feeling responsible for all their deaths um and then Alas, the one last one standing. Does this character have a name? I can't remember. She was, you know, the, the in blacksmith. A couple episodes. The, yeah. Yeah, the blacksmith, I guess. I could have sworn that they named her in this one. I'm just trying to, but I can't recall it at the moment. I feel like uh, they had, oh, what was it? Maybe it was something I read. I'm sorry. I, I could have sworn that her name came up, though. Didn't it? I don't know. I, probably. I don't know. I, like, I've watched the episode twice now, and I can't quite remember. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I, personally, cool I don't think they ever do. But, um, and you know, like the fact that he feels responsible and wants to stay, and she shows up, and you know, we go through that whole thing with all the characters, and pretty much says they are a clan of two now. Essentially, he is the father, the dad of mm-hmm. the child, Baby Yoda, which is a very cool touch. I love all the looks that everyone gives the Mandalorian too. Like, oh, really? You're a dad now? <laughs> yeah. Um. But I thought that was a really, really cool scene. I think it was cool closure to the Mandalorian kind of leaving in peace his creed of, well, the Mandalorian, so to speak. Um, But also, another thing I thought of is, so did the stormtroopers just kill them all and then just swept them up in a nice little pile and just left them there? Like, who swept up all that armor and just left them there in a pile? I would think the blacksmith did that. That seems like something... Okay, makes sense. I I don't know why they would, why the enemy would do that, but uh, you know one thing I'm not sure of is is are the Mandalorians that live underground on that planet is that everybody that's left, or are there pockets of Mandalorians on other planets as well living underground? I would think there'd be pockets. Yeah, I would. I think I think that they would have to have some kind of a hidden network between the different uh the coverts as they call it isn't that what they call them coverts and um and also what you were saying about the pile of of the armor because if the empire took all that beskar in the first place you'd think they would want to keep it at the same time right if they're that cocky and arrogant and or if it's moff gideon maybe he did it as a sign of intimidation you know like oh this this will totally mess with whoever comes to do cleanup you know because yeah. because the blacksmith lady, she was gathering it up and putting the stuff in bins. So maybe that was just the last pile of helmets that 
she left. And I wonder if any like super nerds have freeze framed that pile and figured out if, um, you know, the cool John Favreau, um, Mandalorian guy that had the, the sweet, you know, two handed rifle with the chain, like it was his helmet on that pile. Big dude. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he got away, you know, more, que- more questions than answers, mm-hmm. which is good, which is good at this point. We want that. Cause we know we have another season coming along. And pl- yeah. And then, and then plus as we would learn at the end of that scene, uh, that, um, when, um, uh, when the blacksmith lady was finishing up her speech and her pep talk with Mando about, look, this, this is, this is what your new uh, deal is. She gave him, um, she, she quickly while talking, then she made him the signet of the, the, uh, the, what, what's the name of that creature that he got in the fight with? Uh, not Mudhorn. a Matterhorn. Mudhorn. Mudhorn. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So not only does he get his signet that goes on his shoulder based on what he went through to earn that, um, she also essentially gifts him a jetpack that we learn he's got to work with and train with almost like a lightsaber as she said things about how you, you've got to listen to this thing and you'll know when you're ready to work with it. So it almost, so now the, the whole uh, Mandalorians have this, this symbiotic relationship with their, this huge weapon that's part of their arsenal, but it's a jetpack that kind of uh, thinks with you in ter- when you're, when you're dealing with it in battle. You know, so that was that was a neat little wrinkle to consider in terms of how cool and badass the Mandalores are. That was a very those were very quick and significant revelations. And they all and those two things happen in the span of about 15 seconds. You know, she (laughs) she puts the signet on his shoulder on the first shoulder piece that she created for him on his right shoulder. And then all of a sudden turns around and produces this jetpack that she had built for him. And it really, I, it seems to me kind of signifies he has been his armor and his, you know, weapons capabilities are complete now if they weren't before, Mm -hmm. but it seems, it seems as though that was, that was sort of the subtext of what, uh, what was going on there. And, and then one thing we haven't talked about, which I think is was very, very clever, was the evolution of this IG-11 character started out as a bounty hunter tasked with killing the child. Then the Mando takes him out at the end of episode one. Then uh, the Ugnaught finds him later on and reprograms him and teaches. And there's this, there's this sort of like training montage that happens where... Uh, IG-11 learns to walk again and learns, you know, motor skills and how to, you know, pour water into a cup and be- become a sort of a domestic servant uh, mm-hmm. type role. And when very he, cute when moments he, within those too. Yeah. And then when he reemerges as a protector at the end and he's calling on all of his you know, initial skills with, with, you know, shooting and driving the the spear bike and, and doing all that stuff at the very end of, of his arc, or we think it's the end of his arc. 
the 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 group is trapped so they've they've escaped down into the sewer they've talked to the blacksmith we've had these revelations uh for the mandalorian he gets his jetpack and they're walking um or they're 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 in a boat i'm sorry they're not walking they're in a boat the boat is floating on lava which kind of calls back mustafar and and the darth vader homeworld there mm-hmm. and they're they're floating down this narrow river and when they are about to come out into the open they they can tell that there are stormtroopers on both sides of the cave as it opens ready to open fire on them when they come out and IG11 sacrifices himself for the group which I was was totally unexpected that was the last thing I thought was going to happen and he he jumps out of the boat into the lava river and he's melting down as he's walking forward. And then when he gets to the mouth of the cave, he self-destructs and blows up all the stormtroopers. Yeah. Very cool. scene. Yep. I mean, and that's a lot of emotional content for a droid. Well, kudos to John Favreau and, and the showrunners and, and all the writers, and whatever, for essentially killing this character off in the first episode, which I thought was weird because he was in all the promotional artwork for the show. Yeah, and then popping back up literally three episodes before the finale, and then building that character back up to the point where, you know, he's not just a mercenary like you said. You watch him kind of grow as a character, as a droid, to the point where it was actually sad and you know tug at the heartstrings to watch him just trot out and blow himself up to save, you know, essentially the child and to have that kind of emotional you know scene like that for such a you know, a small character really in, in the grand scheme of things is, is really impressive on their part. And the fact that the fact that IG 11 started out as he started out as a perfect prime example of something of, of why Mando hates droids. Like the, the, when, he, when Mando first comes upon him watching IG 11, try to go into the compound to get baby Yoda before him. And then they, have to become unlikely partners working together to take out the compound guards, and then they're going to split the reward and all those other things. And you know that Mando has this thing about droids. And then you come to find out over the whole arc of the whole season that at the end of it, and this was another thing that I know we were going to talk about, is that you know Man- we've learned that Mando never takes off his helmet. Mandalorians never take off their helmet. And we have this amazing scene where we think that Mando is mortally injured because he's telling everybody, I'm not going to make it, you know, and he, he's the first guy that is never going to give up, but he's got blood coming out of his helmet from the back of his head. He's talking. They actually have to carry him and stuff. And there's this amazing scene where when IG 11 tells Mando, look, I'm, I'm not, my programming isn't going to allow me to allow you to die or be exterminated but you got to let me help you with your wound, but I got to take off your helmet. They have to figure out the argument that because IG-11 is not this living thing, it's okay for him to see Mando without his helmet. And we get this big giant reveal that I'm sure people maybe are are arguing about or not. I haven't honestly gone online to look because I didn't care kind of, because I thought it was cool. You get the helmet removed and we get to see Pedro Pascal, the actor who's been playing him all this time in this very, very compromised, weakened 
scared state because he obviously is totally injured and scared and you see it on his face which i thought was a really neat way to tie it back around all the flashbacks that they had which is we've only ever seen him as a child with a scared look on his face like laying back terrified with all this stuff going on yeah and then the next time the next time we ever see his face is you see the same you see the grown version of the face just as terrified just as scared looking up at a droid and we know that you know last time he looked like that he looked up at a droid right before the mandalorians uh took it out and then took him into their tribe into their sect so i think the way that they decided to say look we're going to show mando's face also made us made the audience feel for him more because for all of the badassery we've witnessed for seven episodes, we get this one moment that lets us go, yeah, there's a real person under there who does have all these feelings, who does have all these emotions and thoughts going through their head that they've masterfully done with him wearing a helmet. Plus the actor gets, you know, just for his acting resume and stuff gets to have a shot of his face for all the work, all the good work that he's done. You know, I thought there was, I think I thought they did it perfect. We got to see just enough. And now that the helmet's back on, we want the helmet back on, but we also know that there's this cool looking dude who really seems to have a lot of conviction behind his eyes underneath there. So it just kind of, I think it's solidified the things that we loved about the Mandalorian. And it's not like we we're going to want to see him without the helmet on anymore. I think we're going to want more of the helmet and maybe we'll get one more cool, perfectly strategized close up of his face at the perfect right moment with the perfect right emotion in the perfect right context. You know what I mean? I thought they nailed it out of the park the way they did it. So there's your run on <laughs> stream. No, of that was awesome. <laughs> no, that, I, did, I had not considered it in that way the parallel between the young guy and the, and the, and the adult, but that's, I think that's right on the money. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's almost, it's almost like the shot is framed the same because we had, because how many times did we see the young man, you know, when the parents put him in the bunker and he's just kind of looking up and he's reaching for like, you know, save me, save me, help me. And then when Mando's helmet comes off, he's, he looks just as terrified, which, you know, you're, I, I was expecting to see this this grizzled face of, you know, like, I can't believe I'm letting this droid look at me. But when he took it off, he looked like he was about to just burst into tears from, yeah. from like, the pain he was in. It was like, whoa, you know, what a great way to do it. And uh, and and, and, it, and it's kind of crazy how good the casting is. My wife even said this, like, when we first started watching the show, that, like, when you first saw just the kid who was portraying the kid version of pedro they were like man they cast this pretty good he actually kind of looks like what pedro the actor might look like as a kid and then it totally worked out in the end the way they framed it too so fast forwarding a bit back so the we go the the lava river scene happens immediately after after what we just talked about mm-hmm. and then in the la- the very last sequence uh we see we see uh, we see Mandalorian put the jetpack into use because as IG-11 blows up all the stormtroopers, they think they're in the clear. And all of a sudden, they hear a TIE fighter 
you know you hear the sound before you see the see the ship which is done in every every time you see one of these uh this is how they do this which is great and um here's here's moff gideon flying solo ready to you know ready to wipe these guys out and and he's opening fire from his tie fighter and um and grief karga has a really intentionally funny line which again humor is very dangerous <laughs> in this context but he looks at the child and he goes and he says do the magic hand thing baby yeah and and the child just kind of waves at him and everybody in the boat you could hear you could feel them go like oh come on like that's not the way it works that's not the way it works but then but then mandalorian um comes up with a plan he activates the jetpack he flies up to the tie fighter in and it's it's just really cool um how that all unfolds and i think you know the visual effects look great the the and again the the action sequence here isn't super long no like it all happens very abruptly and then it's over and they don't draw things out which i think is really really important you know that everything keeps moving it's really tightly paced um and then the biggest reveal just as favreau and filoni and all the writers have done throughout the biggest reveal of the episode happens in the last 10 seconds or the last five seconds which Mm -hmm. is who do you dave you want to tell us what happens at the at the very end when sure uh, Gideon escapes the TIE fighter. Yep. So, so um, Mando uh, does his uh, jetpack acrobatics and he's able to plant a bomb on one of the, one of his little thermal charges and he puts it on the TIE fighter wing, which uh, uh, disables one of the wings and makes it crash. And he's able to jump away from it with his jetpack, and it goes down way off in the distance. Um, so the last thing we see is some Jawas that have found the wreckage, of course, and they're going to start scrapping it. And as they're getting close to the cockpit, we see some sparks come out of the hull of the main cockpit. You think, okay, Moff Gideon, he's survived and he's cutting his way out. The thing is, is the way that he cuts his way out is he's using this, what looks to be a black-colored lightsaber, but instead of it being the normal uh, lightsaber uh, blade shape, which is almost kind of like a, a thin cylindrical um, uh, staff or a pin. It's shaped more like a classic, almost like a machete. And it's like black. It's kind of like it's glowing black, if that makes any sense. So it's, it's essentially a, a glowing black blade that's lined with this silver color. And when I saw that, um, having been familiar with watching all the animated Rebels uh, and the Clone Wars uh, cartoons, that's a callback to this thing called the Dark Saber. I think is it Dark Saber, or Dark Sword. Yeah. Dan, I think it's Dark Saber. Yeah, Dark right. Saber. Yeah. And so there was a there was an arc in the Star Wars Rebels series where um, the Star Wars Rebels series follows this crew of um, early Rebels. One of them is a former Jedi, and one of them is this girl who is a Mandalorian. Her name is Sabine. And there's an arc in that thing where you learn that the Mandalores had this their own kind of sacred ancient 
lightsaber artifact, but it was called the Dark Saber. And this thing is just as powerful as a lightsaber, if not more. And it would get, and this Dark Saber had changed hands many times among the Mandalorian history. And so the fact that Moff Gideon has this thing or has one of them, I, don't, I can't remember if there's only one or if there's a few, but the fact that he has one is a total callback to the Star Wars Rebel show and at the same time is going to push the story forward because since he was part of the big purge of Mandalore, and he was talking about that too uh, when he was having one of his final, you know, I'm so evil and this is why speeches, the fact that he has one of these sabers and probably stole it from the Mandalorian people during the big purge is going to set up all kinds of resentment and antagonism between him and um, Mando or Din Jared that we now know his name. So we're left with seeing Moff Gideon. He's obviously survived. And if he can survive a crash like that and also has this dark saber, he's going to be a huge force to be reckoned with in season two. So, yeah. And it's in, and it shows that he has collected these artifacts. He's on a serious kind of quest. This is not something that was easy to acquire. I, I suspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fact that he's trying to track the child down knows that there is something equally uh, unique about the child we don't know yet. Like we think we know, but I don't think right. we really know all of uh, the child's capabilities. Clearly, we don't know the backstory, you know, and maybe he's the last of his kind. Like, uh, who knows? Yeah. Anything's anything's possible. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was they did a good job of saying just enough things in these last two episodes to kind of exponentially um what's what am i trying to say like how we've always been talking about how they do such a good job of planting these seeds of origin story or referencing something that's happened either in current galactic time with these characters or in the past that in the back of your mind go, yep, yep, we're, we're probably going to get to explore that way down the road. And that's going to be, it's a whole nother cool thing to, to geek out about. And they really did that well in these last two episodes, especially the finale, because now we know that Mando is going to be a father figure. Now we know that he has officially been recognized as you've got to take care of this kid. You, you know, it's, it's you and this kid, against the galaxy until further notice and he's also got to stay on the run and we also know that he's totally got to stay on the run because moff gideon has got this mandalorian darksaber that's gonna make him make moff gideon feel completely empowered to take on mando and never stop chasing him so this the stakes got higher for all parties involved which is just going to make the intensity of season two that much more killer you know, and yeah. we're more endeared to all of the context of these characters. You know, we feel bad for Kara. Now we want to know what, it, you know, okay, who else did she bump into on Alderaan? You know, did, you know, did she, did it, it, it you know, did, did she go to the same university or training as Leia did or at some point, you know, like there's going to be some kind of tie in with the Organas, you know, like Bail Organa, who is um, Leia's adopted 
dad. You know, they can do all this stuff just with one word by saying Alderaan. It's like, oh, geez, we can totally, <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we, we totally get to go dip our toes into Alderaan now, you know? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Last, uh, last thoughts, Dan, on, on all of this before we, before we wrap it up and put a bow, um, on, this, put a bow on this, uh, series of episodes here. Yeah. I mean, I said it before when it first started and you know, I'll, I had stand by it. I think it's, I think it's the best thing Disney's done since they've gotten the star Wars, uh, franchise. Um, I think it's been absolutely phenomenal. You know, at, at some points it felt episodic, but I feel like it was all for a reason um, to call back to all these old characters to bring up for the last finale. Um, so much lore they're able to put into these episodes without jamming it full of fan service nonstop, which apparently Star Wars fans hate. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line to walk with Star Wars fans as we all know, especially now more than ever. Oh um, God. Yeah. I don't even go online. I don't even type in Star Wars online anymore. It's just, it's too much. But, um, yeah, I thought it was phenomenal. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that, you know, they kind of described it as almost as like a Western, like a Wild West in, in Star Wars. And throughout the episodes, you could see that. Everything from, you know, from like a heist to them sitting around a campfire getting attacked by wild animals to them to Mando going in and just saving a child in the city and, you know, um, to like almost a shootout, the saloon, so to speak, like. I thought it was absolutely phenomenal from start to finish. Um, and anybody who bitches about it, you know, they can go fuck <laughs> really. Yes. Um, amen. Seconded but, and amen to that. Yeah, it's from beginning to end, it was phenomenal. It's, I can't remember the last TV show where I've looked forward to week by week to watching it. Um, and I cannot wait to see what they do in season two. I mean, like I said, even the finale was was perfect for me. Like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, the cliffhanger waiting for me. You know, I wanted, I wanted resolution to a certain extent while keeping the story going and it wasn't cheap. It wasn't, you know, BS. It was, it was really, really well done and I can't wait to see where they go with season two. Totally we agree. Will, we will all find out together. So we're going to be back at, in a little while with some other content. Um, we're not even getting into the rise of Skywalker because that's a whole can of worms that we don't want to open just yet. <laughs> yeah. We'll be there. here for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, wanted to thank everybody for listening. Be sure to like, and subscribe, whether whatever platform you're on, uh, Apple podcast, Spotify, Google play, Stitcher, etc. And also if you're still with us, make sure you check out the link to rhythm and words in Kennet. March 22nd, part story slam, part spoken word event. There is a call for submissions that is open to all storytellers, authors, poets, etc. And it's a great opportunity for you to perform your material in front of a live audience. And check that link out also in the show notes. So I love that you're doing that, man. I've, I've been following those posts of yours this about is that. Be I good. think that's great. Yeah, this is I have a I we haven't really uh, articulated the whole concept yet, but it's more it's a little bit more than that. But we're we're this is going to be fun and good, yep. most importantly, I think. Yep. Trust the process; it always teaches. There you go. It'll All find right, itself. We will check you out later. Be sure to uh, be sure to 
click on the next episode when you see us resurface, which will be soon. And, ha- and happy right. new year to everybody too. Yeah, and ha- That's right. Happy new year, everybody. We'll see ya. Thanks for listening to Creator Confidential. To get future episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or follow the show on SoundCloud. For updates about future podcast episodes, essays, or live events, just text the word CREATOR to 66866. That's CREATOR to 66866. You can also visit us on the web, Twitter, or Facebook. Creator Confidential is a production of Force 10 Media and the Tuck Law Offices.